Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Tracking some baseball, Masters as well. Justin Rose, the first-round leader at 7-under. Numbers going up on the board at the William Hill Sportsbook to bet the uh, Masters from here moving forward. Of course, you got in play with the William Hill app, so come on down, sign up for the app, and you're all taken care of. Also very cool at Silver 7's, they've got their Tuesday gift giveaway coming up later in the month, and that goes down between 5 and 7.30, and you got to be part of uh, A-Play. I think I just said A-Team. A-Play is the Players Club here at Silver 7's, and coming up on the 20th, got a, uh, woo, look at that, two-piece set. Got the nonstick frying pan. All right. And then uh, along the lines of the waffle maker that we were raving about earlier, that Jock Peterson got a Cubs gift for his first home run. Uh, on April 27th, they got the uh, Mini Maker Grill. I think you need that. I think you need that badly to make a... Because you've already got, what, a regular waffle maker, a mini waffle maker, and then just a mini maker if you don't want the waffle print. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, you're right. I, I need all I need all of those appliances. I need to fill the entire <laughs> kitchen with things. There's a good machine right there. Go earn your points right now. I might do that. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. Mets win today. We keep mentioning it because it was a really weird moment. Hey, Ari, do me a favor. Do you have that cut ISO'd? If not, I don't. I don't know. We'll play the whole region. Do you have it ISO'd? I got to play the end of the game one more time because I want you to. I want you to listen to something at the at the, the end of the Mets Marlins game where a hit by pitch end of the game. Um, by the way, I'm very excited. I got Pete Alonzo. Remember talking to Pete here? Sure. Yeah. Oh, Pete. Box. Right. Cool kid. Very outspoken. Very honest. Didn't have a filter yet. He still doesn't. No. Fans love that guy. For sure. Love him. Was someone trying to make some sort of bet, yelling at him? What was going on the other day? Well, somebody must have already had the bet. Oh. But he was he was up to plate. Up up to plate. He was up at at the plate. He was getting ready to uh, to face a pitch. And the game, it was kind of a little bit of a, a blowout, but the game was, uh, you know, late on. And somebody just yelled to him because there had been eight runs scored so far in the game. I think it was 6-2 maybe at the time, Mets. And as the pitch is coming, somebody just goes, Hey, Pete, the over-under is nine. And then he slugged a home run to put the wow. game over the total. So I, I don't mean, know. It, that's, it goes without saying the legendary story of uh, Babe picking a shot. Sure. Bigger moment from Pete Alonso. Delivered on the over. I mean, I, you I hate. You, by, by the way, do you hate this? Because this is what is going to happen to the rest of the country with gambling, especially Northeast loudmouths. You know. Yeah, I. I we need to go for nine. I got the parlay. Look, I, okay, good for you. I don't know what accent? I don't, I don't either. Um, I feel like you went to Philly and your yeah. your, your your smarty party. Yeah, it was it was like a combination of Philly, Baltimore, New York, and then just awful. Like it was Pretty a solid. combination of those. Yeah, um, yeah I don't. Th- I think this is stupid to, to be yelling at players like what you bet or what the total is. Or hey, I, I've got a I've got a prop on you to score the first basket. Like please do it. Like okay, I, I guess. Like I I don't like those things, and I think it it kind of you know defeats the purpose of you know having. Even though I'm all about betting and betting on everything, like there is kind of that separation of like what actually goes on in the field and what you're telling them or trying to get them to do. Like, I do like that separation. I like that, um, you know, the fact that we have so much regulation and, you know, you can't 
You can't have people that are involved in the game making the bets on the game and that sort of thing. Like, I like to wager on what's happening without having that crossover of knowledge. One, two coming. And the slider in there, strike three. Hit him. Hit him. Hit him. On the pitch. Hit him. Goes in the strike zone. And hit Conforto. He made no effort to get out of the way. It was a strike, but he didn't move. And Don Mattingly is going to come out and argue the call with the home plate umpire, Ron Culpa. Those are the Mets announcers. I think that is awesome. Yeah. And then you know why I rail on play-by-play announcers around the country? Because those are guys that I listened to when I was growing up. Gary Cohn was just starting with the Mets when I was probably late teens, early 20s. And, like, he's calling the game down the middle. Gary Cohn, the Mets announcer, is like, come on. Really? Instead of, you know, they won, they won. Like, you, you, you can be objective and still deliver the message. You don't have to be a complete homer. Yeah, I appreciate that as my closer blows another blows yeah. another one. I, I mean, I, like, like, listen, Bass, I, I agree with you. I just I like my closer. In the end, I just don't I don't <laughs> what, care. Do you own the team? Yes, Adam Cohen. Of course, I own him. Um, in the end, like I don't it doesn't make me feel any better, but you're right. I, I do I do appreciate the um, you know, the acknowledgement, the the letting the fans know what actually happened. It's one of the things that drives me nuts with Homer announcers all the time, especially on the radio, when they don't really tell you what happened, they just get excited about it and they don't realize like they don't point out like, well, that's a terrible holding call. They'll just say, like, holding, obviously. No, no, you got to tell me what really happened. Number four. Last time we saw Tom Brady, he was actually acting like a human being. It was kind of cool. Just a drunken mess falling over. This was at the boat parade after they won the Super Bowl. Taking the Lombardi trophy and chucking it across to another boat. Uh, he's back, and uh, he's... In full TB12 mode, is he not? He is. Come on, Tom. Let loose. So Giselle has tried to talk Tom Brady into retiring before. She's admitted that. She's talked about it. Uh, and after he won the Super Bowl, on the field, she whispered into his ear, all right, what more do you have to prove? Tom- I wish, I, you know what? I wish he was drunk then because <laughs> I think drunk Tom Brady would have been like, all right, back off. Can I just enjoy the moment? Without you needling me. So, <laughs> Brady. She rained on his parade on the field? Brady in the past. Come on, Giselle. In the past, Brady has said, I'll retire when I suck. So, I guess never. Um, he said, though, uh, on Good Morning America this morning, I guess it was yesterday morning, um, he told the story about Giselle once again saying, What do you have to prove? and trying to get him to retire. He said, I don't think proving it for me is the motivation. I still want to play. Uh, I have like a little sickness in me that just wants to throw a freaking spiral. You know what I mean? Also, once you stopped, you can't go back to it. Uh, I got some more football left in me. I mean, not a lot, and I know that. But what I've got left, I'm going to go and give everything I've got. It's such a Brady answer. He's back. Shouldn't the answer be like, not, no. <laughs> yeah. I told my wife to screw off. What I'm playing I, until I want to yeah. freaking what do, play. What do I have to prove? What do you want me to lay around the house all day and have to listen to you? It's <laughs> <laughs> probably not the right answer. Well, I, I don't think he's allowed to do that. Oh, isn't it? When he retires, he has to do something, right? So we got another Jay Cutler situation. Remember, that, the, remember that whole deal with the reality show with him and what's your name there? Uh, Kristen Cavallari. God, oh my, you, you know, I watched the show a couple of times. I'm like, this is the greatest man on earth. He's doing whatever he wants. 
his projects are just nonsense farming stuff that he enjoys. Buying chickens? I, I don't know what it is. He's driving around in a tractor. He comes in to chill, and she's just busting his horns like, hey, we got to do stuff. It's like, I did stuff for 20 years. That's why we have money. You know, my head's rattled. I played football. I'm going to freaking burn heaters left and right and ride a tractor and take naps. Yeah, she, her thing was, if you retire, you're not retiring. For, like, you're not just going to lay on the couch all day. When you retire, you're only 35 years old. And he was like, it, it was a very hard job for a long time that made me a lot of money. I can do whatever I want. And that's why he immediately went into broadcasting and then was making, like, five comebacks. Because she kept saying, you got to do something. I'm going to go back and get away yeah. from you. Yeah, I'm so leaving. Now Brady's facing the same situation. Except yeah, here's, so. here's the only difference. Uh, Giselle is worth like six hundred million dollars. Yeah, she's now he's worth like four hundred, maybe, maybe more. Cavalier's got some money too. Not Giselle. She money. doesn't have Giselle money. God, she's, God, Giselle's rich. In their case, she's richer than him. Like, Giselle's richer than Brady. Yeah, he's got to take all of his houses. He's got like twenty five houses. Although, can you imagine if that's actually what his job is going to be? He's just a handyman. He's got to fly around the country and fix all these you know, zillion dollar he's houses. Got, he's got to show like open houses. He's got. <laughs> Here's, here's your retirement gift, just a giant tool chest. I think he's going to hire people to do the work. I don't know. Sounds like he's already getting worried about it, that he's going to be put to work as soon as he gets home. All right. I'm, I'll keep playing, so I'm not going to listen to this. Number three. That went from you being annoyed with Tom Brady to poor Tom Brady. That happens all the time. What sort of game are the Niners playing? Is Mac Jones the guy or not? Now Justin Fields is going to have another workout. It seems like... It's very much for the Niners and yeah. other teams. I got you know, there's some stuff out there it's, that people have questions about with Justin it's Fields. For the Niners, you think it's for the Niners? So, Justin Fields had his pro day on the same day that Mac Jones had his pro day, and it was actually Mac Jones' second pro day. So the Niners sent their top executives, Shanahan and Lynch, to Mac Jones's pro day because it was his last. And apparently, before they did that, they contacted Ohio State and said, "Hey, or Fields' people." And said, listen, we're going to Mac Jones because it's his second. This is only your first. Do we have some kind of assurance that you're going to have another one? Because we want to make sure we go see you. And we need to decide who we're going to watch on this day. So apparently they had at least a handshake agreement or a, um, you know, a behind-the-scenes agreement to have another pro day that they could actually attend and go check out. And now they're going to be able to do that and go watch Fields. And they'll send Shanahan and Lynch to this one to watch Fields in person. Uh, which I'm not sure if they'd still be pushing for this if they'd already decided on Mac Jones. Uh, also, I think a lot of the Mac Jones speculation around the Niners was because they chose to do that. When it was Fields and Jones throwing on the same day, Lynch and Shanahan went to watch Jones. And so I think a lot of people were like, oh, clearly they're taking Jones. Well, in, in, in reality, it was just logistics. So you, do you believe this bet that has uh, reconfigured the Mac Jones over-under number? With the pick at three and a half, that I always get it wrong. Over or under? Over. Over three and a half, right? He goes fifth. Over. Yeah, that's over. over. That the over is still a good play. Yeah, because, well, the that, under. That little Shanny and company have not decided yet. Isn't the under like minus $2? Yeah. Well, I'm not even saying they haven't decided. I'm saying maybe they've decided and it's not Jones. Right. Like, that's very possible. Yeah, I would. Okay, they I haven't decided on Jones. Because we, we saw our buddy uh, Sammy, Sam Panjanovic, who works for Ness and he comes on with us on Tuesdays and he was like, he's doing his victory lap. No, no, no. He was doing his victory lap about getting the best number. Oh, getting the best number. Right, not, that now he, you not, can, not that he had won it. Well, he has, now, now you can middle. Yeah, now you can middle. Yeah. You, can, you played the under 15 and a half that's and now you can point. play over three and a half. Because uh, betting isn't, 
and, and I know this is really hard, and we've, we talk about it all the time. Betting isn't necessarily winning your bet. Good betting is getting the best number. And if you do it consistently, you're going to win in the long run. Like, that's what it is. And so he, what he's saying is I got the best number and I can middle, and I've just got the best number, and that's the position you want to be in. So um, all, that is, all that is great. Uh, but, yeah, in this case, like if it was minus 110 both ways, I don't know that I'd bet it because it's, it's 50-50 whether they're taking them or not. But at minus 200 on the under, yeah, I'll take the over. I don't think, th- I don't think that it's a slam dunk that they're going to take him. In fact, I think there's some signs that point to them taking either Lance or Fields. Number two. What do you think of the Colton Miller deal? There's a lot of salary cap people who are like, what's going on here? It, it's and a, by salary cap people, I mean observers outside the sport uh, who aren't just aren't in tune with what the Raiders are doing. Observers outside the Raiders. Did I say outside the sport? The sport? Yeah. yeah, around the sport, out, no, away from the Raiders. Right. Not, not, not necessarily a source, you know, from another team. Yeah, I think it's a. I think it's interesting. I mean, it. it listen, it kind of tells me that they're punting on this season. What is going on? But, I mean, they wouldn't say that. They're not going to tell you that. But what it does, because it, it, if you take it for this year, it seems like a bad move. Even Colton Miller said he's surprised that they did it this year. He was like, I'm surprised they did this. But what it does is it, it's helping put them in a really, really good salary cap situation for next year and the year after. Okay. And so, like to me, this is a move about the future. And instead of using up every single resource that you have for this year, you're getting a lot of cost certainty for the next couple of years. So it's a good signing for the next couple of years, especially if Colton Miller continues to improve the way that he's been improving and if he keeps continuing to step forward. Now you've got a great deal on Colton Miller. But that, that assumes that he is going to keep getting better and, and keep performing at a high level. Uh, but for this year, yeah, I, I think that there's better ways they could have spent their resources if they're trying to compete. Number one. What the heck happened last night? 51 shots for the Vegas Golden Knights. The Blues had come in reeling, playing terribly. What, 500? They lost seven in a row, and VGK couldn't score, loses 3-1, and now, you know, we have this ongoing debate about Flurry and Leonard and splitting time, and when Leonard first came back, we had some guys who were, you know, part of the show, and Dave Koken and and Willie Ramirez, who were like, yeah, Leonard's got to play like three out of four games, 60% of the time, 75% of the time, and now the numbers over the last, you know, 12 combined, Flurry just hasn't been – although I saw a lot of people last night who said Flurry was brilliant. You didn't think he was that good. There he was were, fine. Yeah, there were people who thought he was he was keeping him in the game, but uh, what are the numbers now, last six starts for each? Well, Flurry is 1-5 and five in his last six. Uh, Leonard is 5-0-1 oh, in his last six as they continue to kind of rotate games. Record is not everything. Obviously, not all games are created equal. Uh, but five straight starts, Leonard has allowed two goals or less. It's good. Flurry, we've been kind of pointing out, it's 3-4, three, 3-3-4, four, three, three, four, when early in the season it was 0-1-2-0-0-0-1-2. Like, it was great. He was he was playing out of his mind. And the other issue of late, and I think it was, was it Mark Stone the other day, who's like, this is concerning, right? Yeah. They can't score on the power play. What is happening? How long is the drought now? Uh, last 18 power plays, zero goals. And that is the second longest run in franchise history. And when you're playing some of these close games and you can't generate offense, you've got to find a way in the power play. And they've got enough talent that this shouldn't happen. Uh, as you pointed out, Mark Stone the other day was asked, how concerning is this trend? He said, very. They've got to get this fixed. 
It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. Thursday, Silver Sevens, we always get a chance to talk to... uh, our guy on college basketball, our guy on the NBA, former UNLV player. He's uh, one of the voices of UNLV basketball on radio. Curtis Terry is with us. Let's jump right in on the national championship. We've had the discussion all week long about the matchup with Baylor and Gonzaga, and if they played in an NBA-like seven-game series, those of us on the show mostly believe that it would be a long series, that, hey, that was a one-off. Baylor had a great night. Gonzaga didn't. Uh, do you believe that Baylor would, from here forward, with a one nothing lead in a seven-game series, just eviscerate Gonzaga? Could Gonzaga compete? Could Gonzaga push it to seven games? Yes, without a doubt. I think Gonzaga could compete in that situation, um, especially when you talk about, like, in the NBA. They, there's a lot of teams in, in series that go, like, you get a blowout one game here or there, and they make adjustments. And I think the fact that Baylor came out and shot the ball 5-5 five five from three to start the game, that didn't help at all that, that Gonzaga couldn't get into their motion, couldn't get into their offense, couldn't really get inside the three-point line when they were attacking. And then you make those shots. Then you get uh, two fouls on Suggs right away. I mean, in those types of things, then you're kind of playing behind the eight ball um, and you're trying to fight an uphill battle. But I definitely think that they could have competed if it was a seven-game series. Now, does it go full seven? I don't know. But I think Gonzaga can, can beat that team. They showed during stretches of that game that they figured out some things that would work against them, kind of going zone, mixing it up. Um, and any time that they threw it inside to Timmy, they seemed to have an advantage. It was just a matter of could they get it inside to him uh, when they were switching and fronting on him. So, so got to give credit to Baylor for what they did. In college basketball, you don't have to worry about a seven-game series. It's best team that day when they match up. And, and Gonzaga showed they just weren't up to the challenge on Monday night against that tough Baylor Bears team. Interesting theory on where the game is going. And, you know, we talk all the time about the three ball over the two ball and analytics say, hey, your real desire your real goal on the floor is to make a lot of threes, shoot a lot of threes, and then you know get close to the hoop and make layups. Baylor was a historically good three-point shooting team, over 40% as a team for the season. Gonzaga, on the flip side, was one of the all-time great two-making teams. Is this a signal that what Baylor was doing, shooting a lot of threes, you know, shot volume, basically get the shot up, you know, make some of the shots, but it's dump and chase, have a bunch of big athletes who can go to the boards, that this is kind of the the brand of basketball we could see teams build around in the future. I think you're going to try to see some teams do that. I mean, and I think that goes to what Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, the Warriors kind of did uh, years back when they kind of revolutionized the game of basketball and changed it to getting a lot of threes, corner threes specifically in terms of the high percentage because it's a shorter shot as well as trying to get twos and get free throws. But I think it's kind of fool's gold because you see UCLA, Johnny Juzang made his money getting the 15 feet pull up jump shots. Um, and I know there's people in the Vegas media that disagree strongly with pull up jump shots, but pull up jump shots are something that are, if you consistently work at it and can make it at a high volume and can make it at a high percentage that can open up the game because the teams chase you off that three point line. Cause they don't want to give it up. Then you don't have to worry about getting all the way to the basket. Cause just cause you're closer doesn't mean it's a better shot. But if you can get to that 17 to 15 foot range and consistently knock down that shot, it's, Harder to guard people that can score at three levels. And so you hear in the NBA, three-level scorers, that's guys that can shoot from three, guys that can get to the mid-range, and guys that get to the basket. If you have three options to try to stop somebody, it's much harder as opposed to if you only have to stop one of two, which is all the way to the cup or shooting a three. Going back to the game, what would you have done to get Timmy better looks close to the basket? I, th- I think they just they kind of shied away from it, I think, initially. I think that when they started switching all four Baylor, I think it caught Gonzaga off guard a little bit. 
Um, and I think they kind of shied away from trying to stick with trying to post him up and allow him to fight for that position. Because when he did, he would get Davion Mitchell on the sip. And one time Davion Mitchell tried to try to front him and get around, picked up a foul. And so I think in those situations, um, they just had to be a little bit more patient. But again, when you're looking at that situation, and you're like Jalen Suggs is a freshman, you're in the national championship and you're down 13 to four to start the game. You're not thinking be patient. You're thinking we got to get back into it because it could be over very quickly. And it eventually got to that. But I think Gonzaga did a good job in that first half of weathering the storm. I mean, they were down like 18 in that first half, cut it to 10. And I think you feel like you're in a comfortable spot. But then coming out of that second half, they just couldn't get over that hump. They cut it down back and forth between like 10 and 15. They got it to nine. But then when Suggs went to the basket, missed a running layup, they come back down, hit a three, and it goes from nine to 12, as opposed from nine to seven, putting pressure back on Baylor. I think, again, when you don't have the opportunity to be patient, take your time and because you're playing against the clock and just timing, that's what ultimately did them in because they had stretches where they were good. But again, Baylor shot the ball well. All of their guards played well inside. The big guys did their job. It was just a tough night to kind of match up and see the Baylor Bears. Curtis Terry's with us, the voice of the UNLV Rebels. Do you think that few locked up a bit from a coaching standpoint? The guy was comfy playing an eight, nine man rotation, including local uh, Julian Strother, and then all of a sudden you're in the championship game and no one else is getting minutes off the bench. No, I think that's all he has. And I think it's 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 known. I think it's seen with their roster. I mean, Julian was getting minutes early in the season. Um, even he was getting minutes in the West Coast Conference. But when you got into the tournament, I mean, they don't have a deep bench. I mean, they were at one point, they were only going kind of seven deep. And Watson, their, their other big man, was kind of getting minutes, and he's even undersized. And I think that's all they had. So I think that's the one thing that hurt Gonzaga this year through the course of the NCAA tournament is that you played six, seven guys really, and you don't have a bench, so you can't get guys a spurt um, or get them a breather. Or when you get into a situation later in the tournament and you're playing some deep teams and you face foul trouble or you're trying to change the tempo, you just don't have those guys in your arsenal to kind of counteract, to counterattack that. And that's ultimately what did them. And so I think if you see some guys that are going to leave, probably Kispert's probably going to leave, Timmy's going to be questionable questionable could be a first round draft pick um, obviously Jalen Suggs is going to be a top five pick if he decides to come out if those guys leave then you're saying not only do they have to replace them but then they have to add some depth on top of that and I think you might see Gonzaga take, take a step back um, in terms of what they did this season and last season but then again Mark Few has proven that he's he's a genius at what he does in basketball and so they're going to be retooled and re- be right back in the NCAA tournament next year yeah I don't think there's any step back I think they're going to get the number one player in their country they already got a top 10 commit they may get an impact transfer another big man and I think this will signal a change for Mark Few he will have a deeper bench and I also think he's going to use a transfer portal to kind of model uh, some of what or copy some of what Baylor does and make sure that he's got at least one guy in that 6'4 to 6'7 range who's a little bigger, stronger, athletic, who can be a defender. I bet you he gets multiple guys like that because they work the transfer portal like no one else. They, they, they're great at it. So with that, who's going to win a national championship sooner? Scott Drew again or Mark Few for the first time? Few versus Drew, who wins the next national championship sooner? That's a tough question. I think that's kind of a toss-up. I think because just naturally, Gonzaga's going to have the easier road, obviously. They're in the West Coast Conference. They're not going to play as much competition. Obviously, you get BYU. Uh, That's pretty much it. Um, So aside from that, they're going to have an easier road to get there. And now with what Coach Few is doing in terms of being able to get those blue chip recruits, and then like you said, he's able to work the transfer portal and get some top-notch impact players coming in right away. Whereas Coach Drew is going to have to fight against those natural blue buds um, in terms of Kansas, North Carolina, Duke to get the type of players that he's going to get because it comes down to if you're that type of kid, you're looking at, do you want to go to Baylor? They had success recently, won the national championship, or do you want to go to one of those natural powers that are just always there that you always think about in college basketball? So I think his recruiting strategy is much different. 
And then whereas Coach Few has to get those guys to buy in. So I think he can really, he can go through the transfer portal, kind of take his pickings, but he's going to have to get those guys to buy in because it's not like you're transferring to anywhere else. You got to go to Spokane, Washington. You've got to play a certain style of basketball for Coach Few because if you don't, that's going to blow up what he's created over these last 20 some odd years. Um, so I think it's, it's probably like a 50-50. I think uh, obviously Baylor's going to be in position to get right back there again. They're going to probably get some more recruits because of what they've done as of late. But I think... You, again, you can't count out, count out Gonzaga because I think it was they've been to two national championship games, two Elite Eights, and two Sweet Sixteens like in the last six years um, of an NCAA tournament. All right, Curtis, stick with us. It's Cofield and Company here on a Thursday. The conversation continues in less than three minutes. We have to get to the big story of the week. That is Sean Miller getting fired down at Arizona. Curtis certainly has some insight on it. He was an Arizona fan at one point. Well, just because his brother played there. Jason Terry, and Jason, of course, was on the staff this last year with Sean Miller. So coming up, who will Arizona tab to lead the program post-Sean Miller? With 77-cent Bud Light bottles, Golden Knights hockey game nights are great at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7's with Cofield and Company. Rolling on 5 o'clock hour here on Cofield and Company. Every Thursday we get a chance to talk to our buddy Curtis Terry, former UNLV player and part of the UNLV radio broadcast team. Curtis, you know Arizona well. Your brother played there. So let's get into what the Wildcats do with a selection of a new head coach. And this is a big deal for basketball in the West and the respect that the Western region gets. Arizona's got to be at a decent level. Arizona is, I mean, if not the best, one of the best jobs in college basketball, let alone on the West Coast. And I think it's proven that in terms of what Lute Olson built there over the course of his tenure. And obviously, college basketball and especially Pac-12 basketball is at its best when Arizona is consistently at the top. Just like the Mountain West, when UNLV is at the top of its conference, college basketball is better, as well as the Mountain West Conference. With that said, I think it comes down to a timing thing in terms of why the Arizona powers that be decided to now dismiss uh, Coach Sean Miller. Because, I mean, you look at the situation where a couple of years ago when all this stuff kind of started popping off, you could have in every right had reason to do so then to make that decision to make a move, kind of clean it up, move on from it. Because now you'd be retooled and kind of be back where you expect to be. The fact that they decided to do it now, which I think was exactly like five weeks after their season ended because they didn't get to play in the Pac-12 tournament. Timing's a little odd because now some of these other coaches have been hired away if you want to take a shot at them. But I think it's the situation now, me, with what you've seen in college basketball hirings this offseason so far, a lot of teams are starting to go to guys with ties to the program that are either former players, former coaches, people that have ties to those specific communities. Obviously here with Kevin Kruger, Chris Beard going to Texas, uh, Johnson going to Minnesota, um, even Shaka Smart going back to Milwaukee to Marquette because he's from Milwaukee. Those things play huge factors in terms of getting the buy-in from the community. And I think the one issue to where it's obviously kind of been reported that Tommy Lloyd, the longtime Gonzaga assistant, is going to be kind of that targeted replacement for Sean Miller at Arizona, which is great. He's a great coach. But taking a guy like that, my biggest concern and fear is, are you going to lose support from the former players? Because they feel like that's not anybody that's going to try to ingrain them or kind of have them be a part of the, a part of the program, a part of the community. And we all know, just like Arizona, like UNLV, the supporters, the people in the community, especially the alumni, the ones that kind of push that program from behind the scenes. And if we lose the support of Greg Anthony, Larry Johnson, Stacey Ogman, um, even like Lou Amos and Joel Anthony, all the guys that have played, even Robert Smith, the guys back in the day, the program's not as strong. So now if you talk about Arizona, if you lose those guys in terms of Miles Simon, Mike Bibby, um, Damon Stoudemire, Jason Terry, Luke Walton, Steve Kerr, Sean Elliott, the list goes on and on and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that impact is going to be felt way more if they don't get someone that has some ties. Now, if you do go the route of not hiring Damon Stoudemire, which seems to me like would be like one of your top number one candidates, because I don't think Steve Kerr's going to leave the NBA. Luke Walton, I don't think will leave the NBA. Josh Pastner, I like Josh, but I don't think he's going to prime to come back after the pseudo success he had at this past season at Georgia Tech and really didn't have success at, at Memphis. But then also my thinking is in, in biased aside, you bring my brother, you bring Jason Terry back to Arizona, not only to help guide those guys and kind of um, support and kind of prosper those, those young guards who want to go to the NBA, but you have a guy there that wants to be there, that loves the program, that is a diehard, that has his number in the rafters there. If you don't look for him for a position within that program, then you you have one there that you're willing to kind of fracture and push away. That's going to start the trend of losing some of those supporters in terms of the, from that alumni standpoint with those Wildcat guys. So I think it's a very slippery slope with what the AD and the president are going to do there. Obviously, they want to do what's best, but they've got to do something because now they've made this change, but they've got to do it with conviction to make sure that's the right job and the right hire. Because again, like UNLV can lose the sport of their alumni. If Arizona loses the sport of their NBA alumni and what used to be point guard U, that's going to be a hard road for even Tommy Lloyd or Eric Musselman or whoever you want to bring in there without having the support of those people because that's why those kids want to go to Tucson because let's be real, it's Tucson, not Las Vegas, not Chicago. It's Tucson, Arizona in the desert. It's a great place if you have those former alumni coming back to try to help support those guys to get them to the next level. Good stuff from Curtis Terry on the Arizona job as uh, we're breaking down uh, that developing news and see who they'll face. And, you know, it it has an effect on UNLV in the region with uh, players and recruits. And by the way, I assume the Arizona roster is now going to be up for grabs. They're going to have to re-recruit all those guys because you know everyone's going to run for the portal. One more point, and I want to compare NBA and college basketball. You mentioned Luke Walden. So he already already said, he's a head coach in the NBA. He already said, you know what, I got a great job. I love it. No thanks. Miles Simon to me is intriguing because I wonder what goes through the head of the NBA assistant, like what his goal is. Does Miles want to be an NBA coach so you stay in the NBA? Or do you, you know, make the, I'm going to say the massive salary leap because you're going to make a lot more coach in Arizona than you do in the NBA. But here's the thing college basketball is much different, Curtis, than it used to be. And, you know, if you're looking from the outside in, you're like, wait a second. Not only do I have to go out and get freshmen. And I got to play the AAU game and high school coaches and, you know, handlers. I got to deal with that. That's, that's, a, that's a, a crazy game. And Sean Miller just got fired for it, uh, for overdoing it. Um, but I also now have to re-recruit my freaking team every year. I got to do this transfer portal stuff. I, I would think a lot of NBA folks who have kind of, you know, been back and forth on, hey, do I want to be here? Do I want to be in college? Or like, I, I don't want to coach in college. So I wonder what's going through Miles Simon's head if he actually is a real candidate for the gig. And I think that's the, the the magic the magic question, kind of the the if or what factor with these jobs is that basketball is basketball. So if it's the NBA or college, it's basketball. You're rolling the ball out there. There's 10 guys on the court. You're putting the ball through the basket. But when you take a step back, NBA is professionals. You're coaching these guys from September when training camp or preseason opens until you get to June if you make the NBA finals. After that, you get your summers off. So these guys, their responsibilities are less. They're like school teachers, right? They get to have the summers off, get to be at home with their families. And there's not as much worry in terms of, are you going to have to make a job relocation? Because if you get fired like Sean Miller, his staff is gone. Obviously, Jack Murphy's taken over as the interim now at Arizona. Jason is still there in the meantime. But if something changes, those guys got to move. So like Jason just moved his family from Dallas last summer to Tucson. So if they bring a new coach that doesn't want to keep him, they've got to make a change. That's the risky part about college basketball. And someone asked me yesterday, actually, we were talking about with Jet. They were like, why did Jet want to coach in college, not the NBA? 
because obviously Jet's an NBA guy, 19 years in the league, but he wants to impact these young men and help them grow to take the next steps from young men to being men. That's what he's about because he was that kid. That's what's special to him. So he's willing to take those risks in terms of the, the instability. With those NBA guys, with Miles Simon being from California, with his wife out there, with his kids, I don't know if you want to uproot them and take them to Tucson and play you so you had a lot of success because if you don't win within three, four years and it's not going good, they're going to get rid of you. And then you just lost the position that you had with the Lakers, the preeminent yeah. top program yeah. or top organization in the NBA. And yeah. you won a championship, might win another one. And so Jason Kidd's going to get a job here soon. They got Lionel Hollins on their staff. You're talking about guys that are going to be head coaches and you're going to move up either there or you're going to go on with them. So do you really jeopardize that to get the quick fix for that money? Because, you know, he's still getting paid handsomely with the Lakers. So I think that's a balance of why you don't see a lot of guys make that quick jump. Obviously, Juwan Howard was committed to doing that kind of the same way Jed is. So it's really if, if you're built for that and want to take on that role, you got to jump in with both feet because you've seen the NBA and the college coaching game is so much different um, than what people really think it is. One more thing on Arizona, because I think it relates to uh, UNLV and how they're rebuilding the program here. If you're Tommy Lloyd and you're the top candidate and you, and uh, Arizona tells you, you know what, you got to keep Jack Murphy. By the way, Jack, a local guy from Durango High School. Uh, you got to keep Jack Murphy and you got to keep Curtis's brother, Jason, right? So try to be objective on this. If you're a coach being told you got to keep two of the assistants, are you like, nah, I'm out? Yeah, it's, it's not really yours, right? If they're coming in and they're saying, we want you, you're the guy, but then we're going to say, but you got to hire, keep X, Y, and Z. Right. And how much really control do you have over that program? And so I think that's the risky part because, again, Tommy Lloyd's turned down numerous jobs over the course of the – I mean, he's been at Gonzaga, I think, 20 years now. He's turned down numerous jobs. Why now would he step away to go take something when very soon – I don't know how soon, but I think very soon that, that Coach Few is going to step down and say, you know what, I've had enough. Maybe I just want to kind of sit, sit inside and just relax and enjoy the glory and success that I had, even though I might not have gotten that national championship. And he's going to pass up that opportunity. Because, again, if you tell me, Lloyd, you come to Arizona, that's great. But if you don't have success right away, they're definitely going to get rid of you. So it's one of those situations where do you really want to do it? And if they're going to put stipulations on who you have to keep and who you get to hire, a lot of risk within that. Because, again, from the jump, it's not yours to kind of mold into shape. Curtis Terry's with us, former UNLV basketball player. He's one of the voices of Rebel Basketball on radio. All right, tell me about the staff that Kevin Kruger has put together here. I actually had a chance yesterday to interview uh, – Carlin Hardman, I, you know, intriguing dude, and he explained some of the philosophy of what they're doing in terms of team building and the early transfers that they've grabbed out of the portal. So talk about the assistance they've, uh, they've brought in here. They've got some continuity, though, right? They've got some guys. Yeah. You know, Buckley's going to stay around. They've got the continuity. I know you're going to talk about the importance of, uh, you know, director of basketball ops being around because he's got a, yep. a line to the kids. But uh, the new assistants. Um, I think it's great. Obviously, Kevin's done a great job putting together his staff. He didn't rush through it or make some kind of off-the-wall hires like some people probably wanted him to do or expected him to do because that's Kevin. He's going to do things his way at his speed and he goes out and keeps uh, retains Tim Buckley, which I think was a great choice. Coach Buckley's had a lot of experience in the NBA and in the college ranks and a former head coach. Then you go out and you get a big grab from the Big 12 off his dad's staff in Carlin Hartman. And then this guy is a known recruiter. I um, mean, I think he brought in what was the number one recruiting class in the Big 12 two years ago, number 13 in the country. You're talking about a guy that can go out there and get them done um, across all parts of the country and a guy that played at Tulane himself, very well respected. And then you bring in most recently, I don't think it's been officially announced, but reports are that he's going to bring in uh, Brandon Chappelle. 
a former assistant at Lamar University uh, these past four years. Uh, previously was at Arkansas F- Smith, Arkansas Fort Smith um, as a Division II coach. Um, and then previously before that was a director of recruiting and a graduate assistant at Northern Arizona, which where him and Kevin initially crossed paths. I know Brandon met him a few times. Really good guy. He's a guy that's probably going to work with the guards here. Um, he, he was a guard. He played at Lamar himself. Um, and has ties to the Houston, to the Texas, to the south, to the southwest, southeast area. So I think, again, in terms of recruiting, Kevin's covering his bases. Obviously, Coach Buckley um, went to Bemidji State in Minnesota. They're going to get those guys from kind of the north. Um, and then Coach Hartman um, and Brandon. And then Kevin's kind of got reached everywhere and just from his experience in the Big 12. I and mean, what you see with you bringing in those three transfers aren't right away from the Big 12. First thing you see, we don't know much about them because they didn't play a lot the last year or so. But they're much bigger, stronger, and athletic than the guys that UNLV is losing so far. And that's not a knock against those guys. That's just kudos to these guys coming in. They're big 12 caliber athletes. That's going to help UNLV in terms of the size and athleticism to kind of close that gap on the teams that they've been facing. So I think Kevin's done a great job so far. Obviously excited to, to see what Coach Kruger continues to do in terms of putting together the rest of his roster. And obviously this transfer portal thing kind of went quick for UNLV with these first three guys, but it's still going to kind of play out over the next few months to kind of see where the pieces are going to fall. How important is Deshaun Henry staying around? Oh, man, you got to keep Coach Henry. Um, you talk about having local ties. Uh, Coach Henry's a longtime uh, guidance counselor in the Clark County School District, was the former head coach at Durango High School, obviously Coach Nick Blake. And so having a guy like that on your staff that knows the community, even more so than Kevin, is ingrained, knows the grassroots, knows the high school coaches, knows how this city really works because he's been here for so long. That's a guy that can really connect and relate um, and kind of help even close some of those loops for Kevin that he made kind of, oh, I forgot about that guy and make sure we got to touch base with these people. Um, and so I think Coach Henry, the what he does and what he brings to the program, um, it goes it goes unnoticed, but he's a huge factor in what they have going here at UNLV and the fact that he's able to keep Deshaun in his position uh, to, to keep in tie with these guys because he's really the intermediary between the coaches and the players because he's not on the court with them. So he's really off the court, talking with the guys at training table, doing a lot of the stuff that people don't really see in a day in day out basis let's close on uh you know what they're looking for from here and i i agree with you i think you were suggesting hey the transfer portal is still open they're going to get some uh bigger impact guys in terms of what they've done in the past i noticed lamar had a young point guard who was tremendous now he just committed like four days ago to la tech i have no idea if you know he's in play on him that'd be interesting um in my conversation with carlin hartman uh he talked about jordan mccabe the point guard who they grabbed out of the transfer portal and and he was talking about the importance of having a point guard and and I did ask him point blank I'm like hey what's going on with Marvin Coleman and he seemed to suggest like hey you know it's kind of still up in the air on Marvin in terms of Marvin's health which I don't like to hear but there's also dealing with reality right yeah and I and I think that's 100% true I think with Marvin obviously Marvin's a local kid you want to keep Marvin around because he's been the heartbeat of this program for the last two years. He's the one really kind of been able to rally the guys and have that pride that TJ always talked about that was missing with this group last year. He was that guy. And when he went out of the lineup, it disappeared. So I think if you can keep him and get him back on the court to whatever degree he's able to contribute, it's going to be a positive. But again, it's the fact of Marvin went through some serious, some serious surgery um, during the course of the season. And who knows how he's going to bounce back if you can keep him in tow. You want to. But I think Marvin's got a bright future, whether it's on the court or off the court in a coaching role, whether it be here or somewhere else. Uh, but I th- it's still time going to tell what Kevin's really going to continue to do with this program. The one thing I do think personally is I think not just with UNLV, but college basketball as a whole, I think you're going to have a lot less high school kids being recruited and being brought into play right away unless you're those top those top tier kids like the Chet Holmgrens. Um, you're talking like the prime time blue chip recruits because what do you do? Do you take a guy that was in the Big 12 of the SEC that didn't play a lot but has been in college for a year or two, is mature, responsible, 
bring him and transfer him in, or you're going to go get a high school kid's three or three-star recruit. That's just not mature, not ready. And is going to be a development nine times out of 10, you're going to take that college transfer. And so I think you're going to see a lot of kids in terms of the high school ranks that aren't primed, aren't matured, aren't game ready yet. You're going to suffer a little bit, have to go to lower levels, um, either D2, low level D1, or even junior college and to transfer their way in just because of what they've done with the portal, unless they make some changes to this thing after this season. Curtis, really good stuff. Really good stuff. Glad to have you on this week. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, Steve. Take care. There he is, Curtis Terry, the former running rebel right here on Cofield and Company. We'll close out in the grab bag from Silver Sevens. Listen, you don't want to get the vaccine. We're mostly fine on Cofield and Company. That is a personal choice. Now, that's as long as you're not the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills. Oh, no. Adam Hill will chime in in the grab bag on quarterback Josh Allen being iffy about the vaccine. The Cofield and Company crew is back tonight at 9 o'clock. It's the Law and Sporter Podcast with Justin Watkins from Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Cofield and Company presents. Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. Grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Some breaking news, interesting news around the Raiders in from Ian Rappaport. Carl Joseph, remember that name? Oh, yeah. Going to be visiting the Raiders? Is visiting the Raiders. He's here. All right. All right. Let's bring him back. There you go. You preach patience. You're like, there's a lot of guys out there who can play safety. It's a matter of time. Carl Joseph has been around. You know, he knows the organization. They know him and uh, was with Cleveland last year, but now available again. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Uh, you know, at the end of the Big Five, we were talking about some criticism of the Raiders and the way they're handling the cap. And I saw a story up on The Athletic. NFL offseason head scratchers, great moves and leaps, things we've learned from all 32 teams. And uh, they talked to a capologist, and the, the person said, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, nothing they do makes sense with the Raiders. Uh, he liked Ngakwe. Drake, like everyone, he's like, I, I don't know, said, uh, you know, everything else they've done, you can tell this is a team that's run by someone who hasn't been involved in running an NFL team for a decade, forever long it was for Gruden at ESPN. It has that feel. This has a complete feel of the 2000 Parcells era running franchises. You run uh, to these veteran players, and the minute that somebody makes a peep about something, you cut them. It just doesn't look like it's going to be successful. Too harsh? Pump, um, the, pump the brakes over the cap, pal. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think it. It, it makes sense. I think a lot of people have been wondering exactly what they're doing, what the plan is. Uh, I know oftentimes we talk about, well, did the Raiders execute their plan this offseason? I, I, I don't know what the plan was. Uh, I would say this probably wasn't plan A, but they are where they are right now. Stick your hand in there, Dave. We're back tonight, 9 o'clock, Law and Sporter podcast. We'll have plenty of time to go over, over uh, a bunch of legal issues and some more on the Raiders, and we will definitely be talking about the uh, – vaccination passport. Justin yeah. Watkins has a lot of interesting stuff on that. Actually, not a big supporter of it. Uh, nor is your guy, Josh oh. Allen, Bill's quarterback. What's the problem? Never he doesn't want to get it. He doesn't want to get the pre- vaccine. He doesn't know. Uh, he's still waiting for some research. Uh, I, I don't know what more research you want. There are a lot of people out there. Take your That's time. Fine. That's fine. Make an educated decision. It's fine. He's well. He's perfectly, perfectly able to express whatever opinion he wants to. Uh, when you do have a, you know, power over people and they listen to what you say sometimes you should think about what you're saying 